This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I'm your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I will stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe through this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to write you help to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, alternative interpretations, or would like some help. Let us begin. Last episode, we were uh, we're still going through Henry the Fourth, Part Two, and um, we got to meet two of Falstaff's old acquaintances, who are justices of the peace now, and were helping him uh, with the king's press. And uh, Bartoff just took a bribe to let uh, the two uh, best candidates go from service. And uh, Bartoff and um, and Falstaff are now uh, having a bit of fun with one of the remaining recruits, uh, Wart. And um, Falstaff asked uh, Bartoff to put a, a musket or a calavere, as they call it here, into uh, into his hands. This is probably um, um, not accurate historically. Uh, this would have been like in the 14, 15 or thereabouts. I don't think muskets were used in the field then. Shakespeare frequently took uh, liberties, shall we say, with such things as that. And uh, much is made by them in the time image in these Henry IV plays by saying, look, there were clocks weren't around then, but whatever. Um, the metaphors fit, and uh, here's a bit of comic relief for uh, seeing how Wart performs with a musket. Bartoff giving Wart a musket. Old Wart, traverse, thus, thus, thus. Okay, traverse is probably a drill um, um, measure of some sort. Falstaff to Wart. Come, manage me your calavera. So very good. Go to very good, exceeding good. Oh, give me always a little lean old chopped bald shot. Well said a faith ward. Thou art a good scab. Hold, there's a tester for thee. He gives wart money. Shallow. He is not his crass master. He does not do it right. I remember it mile in green when I lay at Clement's Inn. I was in Sir Dagonet in Arthur's shadow in Arthur's show. There was a little quiver fellow, and he would manage you his piece thus. Shallow performs with a musket. Okay, um, so Shallow is always talking about his days at uh, at Clements End. Uh, he's very proud of his of his law school, and um, apparently uh, he got to perform with a, with a weapon um, in Arthur's show. That probably means some play or something that would put on uh, during law school. They still do that at law schools, by the way. Not necessarily Arthur plays though. Okay, back to the text. Shallow performs with a musket. And he would about and about and come you in and come you in, ratata, would he say, bounce, would he say, and come away, would he go, come again, come away again, let me try that again, would say, and away again, would he go, and again, would he come, I shall ne'er see such a fellow, Falstaff, these fellows will do well, Master Shallow, God keep you, Master Silence, I will not use many words with you. Okay, there the uh, play on uh, silence again. Uh, he doesn't use many words with the silent guy. who's indeed pretty silent. Back to the text. Very well, gentlemen, both. I thank you. I must a dozen mile tonight. Bardolph, give the soldiers coats. 
shall. Sir John, the Lord bless you. God prosper your affairs. God send us peace. At your return, visit our house. Let our old acquaintance be renewed. Peradventure, I will with you to the court. Okay, so Shal was hoping to get advancement himself through uh, his acquaintance with Falstaff. Falstaff, for God, would you would, Master Shallow. Shallow, go to, I have spoken a word. God keep you. Falstaff, fare you well, gentle gentleman. Okay, double gentle there. Shallow and silence exit. On, Bartoff, lead the men away. All but Falstaff exit. Okay, and then we uh, get a, a soliloquy of Falstaff. As I return, I will fetch off these justices. I do see the bottom of Justice Shallow. Okay, uh, not easy to see, uh, or it is easy to figure, to see the bottom of someone who is shallow. Um, and so Falstaff seems to be saying that he's going to get them fired or get them in trouble. Lord, Lord, how subject we old men are to this vice of lying. This same star of justice hath done nothing but prate to me of the wildness of his youth and the feats he hath done about Turnbull Street. And every third word a lie, do or paid to the hearer than the Turk's tribute. I do remember him at Clement's Inn, like a man made after supper of a cheese pairing. Uh, when he was naked, he was for all the world like a forked radish with a head fantastically carved upon it with a knife. Okay, uh, I'd heard that uh, rather than pumpkins carving, uh, back in the day there they would they would carve turnips or here apparently uh, radishes uh, uh, to look like heads back to the text he was so forlorn that his dimensions to any thick sight were invincible he was the very genius of famine yet lecherous as a monkey and the horse called him mandrake okay mandrake was supposed to be an aphrodisiac he came ever in the rearward of the fashion and sung those tunes to the overscudded huswives that he heard the carmen whistle and swore they were his fancies or his good nights. And now is this vice's dagger become a squire, and talks as familiar of John of Gaunt as if he had been, been sworn brother to him. And I'll be sworn he ne'er saw him but once in the tilt yard, and then he burst his head for crowding among the marshal's men. I saw it and told John of Gaunt he beat his own name, for you might have thrust him and all his apparel into an eel skin. In the case of a treble hot boy was a mansion for him, a court. Uh, okay, that, that hot boy, a treble hot boy, I think is like a, some sort of a trumpet. Back to the text. And now he has land and beefs. Well, I'll be acquainted with him if I return. And shall go hard, but I'll make him a philosopher's two stones to me. If the young dace be a bait for the old pike, I see no reason in the law of nature, but I may snap at him. Let time shape, and there an end he exits. So... Uh, Falstaff is promising to himself that he's going to uh, take down uh, Shallow and, uh, if not ruin him, at least cause him uh, difficulties. Don't see why. It doesn't say that he needed revenge or anything, but just uh, he doesn't like him because uh, apparently he was a he was a bit wild at, in law school. Uh, but no, no other quarrel seems to be there. Let's go on to Act Four. Act Four, Scene One. Enter the Archbishop of York, Mowbray. Lord Bardolph, a uh, different Bardolph again, Hastings and their officers within the forest of Galtree. Okay, so we're back with the rebels now. Archbishop, what is this forest called? Hastings. Tis Galtree Forest, and shall please your lord, your grace. He's a grace because he's an archbishop. A lord would be like uh, the others. Archbishop, here stand, my lords, and send discoverers forth to know the numbers of our enemies. Okay, so Archbishop is saying to send out uh, spies. Uh, that's what he uh, means by discoverers. I guess it's a nicer word than spies. 
Hastings. We have sent forth already, Archbishop, tis well done. My friends and brethren in these great affairs, I must acquaint you that I have received new dated letters for Northumberland, their cold intent, tenor, and substance thus. Here doth he wish his person with such powers as might hold sortance with his quality, the which he could not levy, whereupon he is retired to ripe his growing fortunes to Scotland, and concludes in hearty prayers that your attempts may overlive the hazard and fearful meaning of their opposite. Okay. Um, the Archbishop's uh, summarizing the letter as Northumberland said he couldn't raise um, enough enough men to, um, as his station called for. In other words, he's a great lord and he should have had a great host, but he couldn't get it, so he ran away to Scotland. Mowbray. Thus do the hopes we have in him touch ground and dash themselves to pieces. Okay, the hopes were flying up and then they fell and uh, were dashed on the ground. Enter messenger, Hastings. Now what news, messengers? West of this forest, scarcely off a mile in goodly form, comes on the enemy. And by the ground they hide, I judge their number upon or near the rate of 30,000. Okay, the ground they hide, that means uh, the men are standing on it so you can't see the ground. A uh, rather fancy way of saying they, they covered the ground for about 30,000 men. Mubry, the just proportion that we gave them out, let us sway on and face them in the field. Enter Westmoreland. Archbishop, what well-appointed leader fronts us here? Mowbray, I think it is my lord of Westmoreland. Westmoreland, health and fair greeting from our general, the Prince Lord John and Duke of Lancaster. Okay, I think Westmoreland was also uh, sent to uh, offer peace in the previous battle at Shrewsbury, which was uh, turned down. Archbishop, say on, my lord of Westmoreland, in peace. What does concern your coming, Westmoreland? Then, my lord, unto your grace do I in chief address the substance of my speech. If that rebellion came like itself in base and abject routes, led on by bloody youth guarded with rage and countenanced by boys and beggary, I say if damn commotion so appeared in his true native and most proper shape, you, reverend father, and these noble lords had not been here to dress the ugly form of base and bloody insurrection with your fair honors. You, Lord Archbishop, whose sea is by a civil peace maintained, whose beard the silver hand of peace hath touched, whose learning and good letters peace hath tutored, whose white investments figure innocence, the dove and very blessed spirit of peace. Wherefore do you so ill translate yourself out of the speech of peace that bears such grace into the harsh and boisterous tongue of war, turning your books to graves, your ink to blood, your pens to lances, and your tongue divine to a loud trumpet and a point of war? So Westmoreland um, says there, that um, the rebels aren't aren't um, you know peasants or you know wild and boisterous youths, but they're led by uh, reverend nobles and uh, uh, the archbishop, whose see s e e that's his bishopric um, is by a civil peace, peace maintained. That is, he benefits from peace, and then he goes on to you know give the uh, the bad comparisons, um, you know the the books. Of the of the bishop, that is his Bible and um, his, his liturgical books are being turned into graves. The ink, because um, the learned clerics would uh, be writing um, letters, epistles, and copying out at this point um, the uh, the Bible and other sacred books, because printing press had not been invented at this point. Your pens to lances and your tongue divine. 
to loud trumpet and a point of war. Archbishop, wherefore do I this? So the question stands briefly to this end. We are, we are all diseased and with our certificating and wanton hours have brought ourselves into a burning fever and we must bleed for it. Okay, so um, the people then thought if one had a fever, the remedy uh, was bleeding, that is to cut open the veins and uh, let some out. Uh, this is sometimes um, portrayed as saying you were letting the ill humors out. They might have been somewhat more sophisticated than that, but um, certainly there's a modern uh, medicine that says you don't get any relief from from bleeding. But at any rate, he's saying that uh, Archbishop says they're diseased and um, and they, they must bleed for it. They're the, the medical thing as well as uh, as bleeding as in wounds and from wounds in a battle. And we must bleed for it, of which disease our late King Richard being infected died. Okay, so uh, back again to uh, Richard and the revolt against him. But my most lo noble Lord of Westmoreland, I do not take on me here as a physician, nor do I as an enemy to peace troop in the throngs of military men, but rather show a while like fearful war to diet rank minds sick of happiness and purge obstructions which begin to stop our very veins of life. Okay, so he keeps the metaphor going on there of the, the physician, and uh, but their veins are, are to purge the obstructions that are stopping the veins of life. Back to the text. Hear me more plainly. I have an equal balance justly weighed what wrongs our arms may do, what wrongs we suffer, and find our griefs heavier than our offenses. We see which way the stream of time doth run, and are enforced from our most quiet there by the rough torrent of occasion, and have the summary of all our griefs, when time shall serve to show in articles, which long ere this we offer to the king, and might by no suit gain our audience. When we were wronged, when we are wronged and would unfold our griefs, we are denied access to his person, even by those men that most have done us wrong. The dangers of the day, but newly gone, his memory is written on the earth, with yet appearing blood and the examples of every minute's instance present now, hath put us in these ill-beseeming arms, not to break peace or any branch of it, but to establish here a peace indeed, concurring both in name and quality. Okay, so he's saying that they uh, uh, they had wrongs. They tried to go to the king and uh, must have been against his favorites and so forth. And they're saying the, the very men they were complaining against uh, wouldn't let the king see them. Westmoreland. Whenever yet was your appeal denied, wherein have you been gallied by the king? What peer hath been suborned to grate on you that you should seal this lawless bloody book of forged rebellion with a seal divine and consecrate commotion's bitter edge? Okay, so Westmoreland is saying, he's talking to the archbishop here, and he's saying, uh, um, seals the lawless, bloody book of forged rebellion. Now, forged there probably means to, to beat it out, not to, not a false rebellion, um, but with a seal divine. That is, he put a, put a seal on the book um, of his church, of his, of his bishop's station. And consecrate, uh, that's, uh, again, a ecclesiastical... Um, church term, Archbishop. My brother general, the commonwealth to brother born and household cruelty, I make my quarrel in particular. Okay. Um, he's saying uh, his brother? I'm not sure who, I, I don't know if we've heard anything about the Archbishop having a brother before, but let's go on. Westmoreland, there is no need of any such redress, or if there were, it, it not belongs to you. 
Mowbray. Why not to him in part and to us all that feel the bruises of the days before and suffer the condition of these times to lay a heavy and unequal hand upon our honors? Westmoreland. Oh, my good Lord, Mowbray, construe the times to their necessities, and you shall say indeed it is the time and not the king that doth you injuries. Yet for your part, it not appears to me, either from the king or in the present time, that you should have an inch of any ground to build a grief on. Were not you restored to all the Duke of Norfolk's uh, seniores, your noble and right well-remembered fathers? Mowbray, what thing in honor has my father lost that need be revived or breathed in me? The king that loved him as the state stood then was force was force for force compelled to banish him. And then that Henry Bolingbroke and he, being mounted and both roused in their seats, their neighing courses, daring of the spur, the armed, the armed staves in charge, their beavers down, their eyes of fire sparkling through sights of steel, and the loud trumpet blowing them together. Then, then, when there was nothing could have stayed my father from the breast of Bolingbroke, or when the king did throw his water down, his own life hung upon the staff he threw. Then threw he down himself and all their lives, that by indictment and by dint of sword has since miscarried under Bolingbroke. Okay, so uh, Mowbray's uh, father was the Mowbray and, and Richard II, who uh, Bolingbroke accused of treason, and they were they were about to have their trial by combat when uh, Richard stopped it. So, but but Mowbray. Um, was given his father's uh, titles uh, and estates, even though Mowbray himself was, I, I believe, perpetually uh, banished in the play. Back to the text, Westmoreland. You speak, Lord Mowbray, now you know not what. The Earl of Hereford was reputed then in England, the most valiant gentleman. Who knows on whom fortune would then have smiled? But if your father had been victor there, he ne'er had borne it out of Coventry, for all the country in a general voice cried hate upon him, and all their prayers and love were set on Hereford, whom they doted on and blessed and graced, indeed, more than the king. But this is a mere digression from my purpose. Here come I, from our princely general, to know your grace, to tell you from his grace that he will give you audience, and wherein it shall appear your, that your demands are just, you shall enjoy them, everything set off. They mind so much as think you enemies. Okay, so um, Westmoreland is obviously disagreeing with them, but he says that uh, Prince John, that's uh, Prince Hal's brother, has said he will hear them and give them redress if he thinks they have a good cause. Mowbray. But he hath forced us to compel this offer, and it proceeds from policy, not love. Okay, well, I'm not sure what else Mowbray wants. You know, there was something, you know, in, in what the rebels before said when they had an offer of peace, which is, you know, they'd never be really secure and that the king would, would get him when they could. Um, so maybe that's what's sort of going on here again. Back to the text, Westmoreland. Mowbray, you overween to take it so. This offer comes from mercy, not from fear. For lo, within a can our armies lie, our army lies upon mine honor all too confident to give admittance to a thought of fear. Our battle is more full of names than yours. Our men more perfect in the use of arms. Our armor all is strong, our cause the best. Then reason will our hearts should be as good. Say you not, then our offer is compelled. Okay, so Westmoreland's saying, hey, we're just as good an army if you are, and they might even have more men. I'm not sure about that. Mulberry. Well, by my will, we shall admit no parley. Westmoreland. That argues but the shame of your offense. A rotten case abides no handling. Okay, that's, uh, I wonder if that's a proverb or something. A rotten case abides no handling. Now, case there is like a legal case, uh, a cause, if you will. Back to the text, Hastings. Hath the Prince John a full commission, and every 
in very ample virtue as father to hear and absolutely to determine on what conditions we shall stand upon? Westmoreland, that is intended in the general's name. I muse you makes so a slight a question. Archbishop giving Westmoreland a paper. Then take my lord of Westmoreland the schedule, for it contains our general grievances. Each several article herein redressed, all members of our cause, both here and hence, that are insinuated to this action. Okay, uh, sinews are muscles, so he's saying that they're, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're all bound together uh, in the action. Back to the text. Acquitted by a true substantial form and present execution of our wills, to us and to our purposes confined, we come within our lawful banks again and knit our powers to the arm of peace. Okay, uh, a little bit interesting thing, present execution of our wills. Wills there um, probably means what they will to do. Also, a will is itself like a last will and testament is executed. Back to the text, Westmoreland. This will I show the general, please you lords, in sight of both our battles we may meet, and either end in peace, which God so frame, or to the place of difference, call the swords, which must decide it. Archbishop, my lord, we will do so. Westmoreland exits. Mowbray, there is a thing within my bosom tells me that no conditions of our peace can stand. Hastings, fear you not that. If we can make our peace upon such large terms and so absolute as our condition shall consist upon, our peace shall stand as firm as rocky mountains. Mowbray, yea, but our valuation shall be such to every slight and false derived cause. Yea, every idle, nice, and wanton reason shall to the king taste of this action, that were our royal face martyrs in love, we shall be winnowed with so rough a wind that even our corn shall seem as light as chaff, and good from bad find no partition. So Marbury's saying, like the, the rebels said uh, before the battles of Shrewsbury, that, hey, look, even if they give us all our terms, um, we're going to be constantly subject to suspicion. And, um, and it doesn't matter what they do. And the, the image there is of uh, the winnowing, the shifting of wheat, um, that the corn, that is the kernels of the wheat, will seem as light as chaff. The chaff was the, the stalk and so forth that was blown away in the wheat stays. But uh, he says that the corn, what they, what, any good works they do, will, will seem as waste. Archbishop, no, no, my lord, note this. The king is weary of dainty and such picking grievances. For he hath found to end one doubt by death, revives two greater in the heirs of life. Okay, so that is um, when he kills his enemies, the, the rest of the family springs up against him. And therefore will he wipe his tables clean and keep no telltale to his memory that may repeat in history his loss to new remembrance. For full well he knows he cannot so precisely weed this land. And he misdoubts present occasion. Okay, image there once again of the garden. Um, that the garden here is 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 Henry's land, and he cannot so precisely weed this land. Back to the text. His foes are so enrooted with his friends that plucking to unfix an enemy, he doth unfasten so and shake a friend. Okay, so the image there continues of the garden and and rooting, and. Uh, the king's enemies and friends are, are both so close together that if he tries to uh, uh, pull up a weed um, as his enemy, he's going to get a friend as well. Uh, image is a bit like uh, Christ's parable um, of the weeds, of the tares and the weeds, um, that um, um, 
he'd planted the wheat and then an enemy came and planted weed seeds. And then when his servants told him, uh, he said, well, an enemy did this, let them all grow up together. And then at harvest time, uh, you can you can divide the, the weeds from, from the good wheat. Okay, uh, back to the text. So that this land, like an offensive wife that hath enraged him on to offer strokes, as he is striking, holds his infant up and hangs resolved correction in the arm that was upreared to execution. Okay, so saying also the image here is of uh, a, a wife who offends her husband and um, he, he draws back his hand to strike her and she holds up um, their baby. And so uh, he won't he won't strike the baby and apparently and will maybe forgive her when she's sort of pleading the cause of their of their baby. Back to the text, Hastings. Besides, the king hath wasted all his rods on late offenders, that he doth now lack the very instruments of chastisement, so that his power, like to a fangless lion, may offer, but not hold. Okay, so a um, couple of images there. Um, one is the, the rod. Now, you know, we think of a of a rod being like maybe uh, something that's used to spank a child. But it was an image also that, that came from ancient Roman law. The, the councils... Um, carried around rods and axes to severely punish wrongdoers. They could either beat them with the rods or cut off their heads uh, with it with the axe. Um, and and Hastings is saying here that the king has used up all his rods. And then the, another image there um, he calls Henry a fangless lion. That the lion doesn't have any teeth left, and he can he can roar, uh, but he can't hold on because he doesn't have any teeth left. Back to the text, Archbishop, tis very true, and therefore be assured, my good Lord Marshal, if we do now make our atonement well, our peace will, like a broken limb united, grow stronger for the breaking. Okay, so Archbishop seems to be in favor of, of peace. I uh, notice he uses the uh, word atonement um, there. Um, this is probably used as almost like repentance or something. And... Um, and that might be sort of what he's driving at, Malbury. Be it so, here's return, my lord of Westmoreland. Well, it didn't take very long. Enter Westmoreland. Westmoreland to the archbishop. The priest is, the prince is here at hand. Please with your lordship to meet his grace, just distance between our armies. Enter Prince John and his army. Archbishop Mowbray to the archbishop. Your grace of York in God's name then set, set forward, archbishop. Before and greet his grace, my lord, we come. I'll move forward. John of Lancaster. You are well encountered here, my cousin Mowbray. Good day to you, general, gentle lord archbishop. And so do you, lord Hastings, and to you all. My lord of York, it better showed with you when, your, when, that your, when that your flock assembled by the bell encircled you with reverence, to, encircled you to hear with reverence your exposition on the holy text. Then now to see you here, an iron man talking, cheering a rout of rebels with your drum, turning the word to sword and life to death, that man that sits within a monarch's heart and ripens in the sunshine of his favor, would he abuse the countenance of the king? Alack, what mischiefs might he set a broach in the shadow of such greatness? With you, Lord Bishop, it is even so. Who hath not heard it spoken, how deep you were within the books of God, to us the speaker in his parliament, to us imagine the voice of God himself the very opener and intelligencer, 
between the grace of sanctities of heaven and our dull workings. Oh, who shall believe which you misuse the reverence of your place, employ the countenance and grace of heaven, as a false favorite doth his prince's name in deeds dishonorable. You had ta'en up under the counterfeited zeal of God, the subjects of his substitute, my father, and both against the peace of heaven and him have here upswarmed them. Okay. Uh, Prince John is not, not letting the archbishop uh, go. You know, he's saying, hey, you were, you were a great bishop, and why have you become a rebel, archbishop? Good, my lord of Lancaster, I'm not here against your father's peace. But as I told my lord of Westmoreland, the time disorder doth in common sense crowd us and crush us to this monstrous form to hold our safety up. I sent your grace the parcels and particulars of our grief, that which hath been with scorn shoved from the court. Whereon this hydra son of war is born, whose dangerous eyes may well be charmed to sleep, with grant of our most just and right desires, and true obedience of this madness cured, stoop tamely to the foot of majesty. Okay, so Archbishop is saying that they were they were compelled to this course, um, and he he uses the image of the hydra, which which might pick up a little bit on what uh, was said before about you know the friends and foes that uh, that if he struck. Uh, the king strikes down one, many others, uh, enemies will, will grow up. Um, and he, he's pleading to just, uh, you know, give us what we want and we'll be fine. We'll be loyal. Mulberry, if not, we're ready. We ready are to try our fortunes to the last man. And though here we fall down, we have supplies to second our attempt. If they miscarry, theirs shall second them. And so success of mischief shall be born. And air from Harris shall hold this quarrel up, whilst England shall have generation. Okay, that again speaks to when they said about the families carrying on uh, the rebellion if they fall. So uh, we'll see next time what reply we'll have and if there'll be a battle or not. But until then, adieu.